11.55, almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. One more story before 12. Just to keep us warm. In five minutes, it'll be the 21st of April. 100 years ago, on the 21st of April, out in the waters around Spivey Point, a small clipper ship drew toward land. Suddenly, out of the night, the fog rolled in. For a moment, they could see nothing, not a foot ahead of them. And then they saw a light. My God, it was a fire burning on the shore, strong enough to penetrate swirling mist he steered a course toward the light but it was a campfire like this one the ship crashed against the rocks the hull sheared in two the mast snapped like a twig and the wreckage sank with all the men aboard and at the bottom of the sea Lady Elizabeth Dane, with her crew, their lungs filled with salt water, their eyes open and staring into the darkness. And above, as suddenly as it had come, the fog lifted, receded back across the ocean, and never came again. But it is told by the fishermen and their fathers and grandfathers that when the fog returns to Antonio Bay, the men at the bottom of the sea, out in the water by Spivey Point, will rise up and search for the campfire that led them to their dark and icy death. This came out in 1980, obviously off the back of the success of Halloween. I think in between that, he did the uh, the Elvis TV movie with Kurt Russell, which I still haven't mm. seen. And he was approached before the release of Halloween by Avco Embassy Pictures with a two-picture deal, which I think is pretty good going, considering he's, you know, obviously dark star and he hadn't done a huge amount. And Avco, other picture he did for them was uh, Escape from New York, another classic. Um, but Avco did The Graduates, the producers, mm -hmm. Lion in Winter, 
Watch it down. The Howling, and this is Spinal Tap, which is quite a collection of um, films. It's pretty impressive. John Carpenter's The Fog, I feel, is a sort of unloved John Carpenter film. I think when people think of John Carpenter, the, the ultimately sort of jump to obviously Halloween, obviously Escape from New York, The Thing are the ones that are sort of more prominent in uh, his filmography. But for me, I, I loved. The Fog, because it is quite a quite much. It's much more subtle in its approach than his other films, and I think he really stands out as a as a director who is is incredibly you know talented and a great storyteller. Yeah, this is the first time I've seen it all the way through. I I don't know when I became familiar with it. Perhaps when I I'd first heard of Halloween, and then when I'd first we got the thing on video, and so I noticed that there was this other the you know, John Carpenter horror film. And then I do remember seeing a little bit of it on TV once and it's staying with me, the the knocking on the door and, you know, it's pretty distinctive and quite scary. <laughs> but I, I can't remember why. I think, you know, I turned it on like halfway through or something. So I didn't watch it all because I thought, oh, this will be good to watch all the way through, but I haven't done until now. Uh, I think I also, I also was aware that there was a remake but then I got mixed up with the mist, and so when people talk about the mist, is is that has it got Thomas Jane in it? Maybe the the yeah, fairly recent. Thing. Yeah, yeah. So Sorry. I get whenever I heard that mentioned, I think that's more widely well received than the remake yeah. of the fog. So, oh. but any, so anyway, in in uh, in answer to your question, this was the first time that I ha- I had seen it, and I had been aware of it for for quite a while, to be honest. Yeah. Jess, you had seen it as a child, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my uh, parents were out and I was being babysat by my granny Pat, who probably let me watch telly later <laughs> than my mum and dad would have. And I, I think I was probably about mm, late primary school, so like probably about nine. Um, and it was, I think it, it would have been a Sunday evening and I was flicking around and came across it and was absolutely terrified and had to turn it off uh, mm. as it kind of ramps up. Um, I, I turned it off. I probably turned it off about forty minutes before the end, half an before the end, as it kind of gets, as it as it kind of kicks in, I suppose. And, and it and it absolutely traumatised me. It was kind of my, um, you know, like Ghost Watch was for you. I think the fog probably was for me. And actually, when you said you were doing the fog and you sort of made me watch it with you I didn't I was quite resistant wasn't I because I didn't want I was like no it's just too scary I can't I can't possibly watch it it's it it like burned into my brain and actually my memory of it was way scarier than it actually is I had Mm. invented aspects of this (laughs) film that don't exist and in my head everybody dies it like sweeps in and everybody's like mercilessly killed. And that's not the case, is it? It's quite a specific number Mm -hmm. of people. Yeah it's funny because I totally distorted it in my memory it was way scarier and more gruesome and more brutal in my memory than it is in reality. If I was a filmmaker, the fact that you'd terrorise a small child, <laughs> yeah, and it was much more violent and scarier. I think that's that's great filmmaking, you know, because that's the one thing that does surprise me. It's not a particularly gruesome film at all. No, it's quite restrained, mm-hmm. and I think that's where Carpenter is best is when he knows what you know he, he can build tension. Mm. There's few that can build tension like he could, 
and that he is able to just shoot things in a way that is quite clear. There's nothing really particularly flashy. It's beautifully shot, but it's not kind of flashy in a kind of overly stylized way. Mm. For me, I, I, I think I stumbled across it again like late night and just like, oh, what is this? And just kind of fell in love with this strange film um, with this strange score. <laughs> the music, you know, the soundtrack is kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of... Like all, all the jump up to soundtrack. <laughs> it's that, well, I know you're not that. But it's more like, at times I think it's, it sounds like, you know, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, but yeah. other times it sounds like fifth, like... 40s adaptation of like Frankenstein. It's quite grand in places, and then it goes to sort of like 80s kind of mm. synth, obviously, because that, that's what it was made and that's his style. But I just, I, for me, I, I was kind of drawn in. I was like, oh, look who that is, and that, look who mm. that is. And I think the cast is, is, is full of very familiar faces if you're familiar with horror films. The reason I chose it for this was because it gets sort of dismissed and it's, it's, it feels like it's very unloved. Carpenter film that when I watched it again, I was, I was I was a little bit worried, thinking, "Oh, maybe it won't hold up." But I was I was really pleasantly surprised just how well made it, it was and how engaging mm. it was and, and what a what a traditional ghost story turned yeah, out. Yeah, it's to not be. it's not in a way it's not as much it's not like it. Like I always feel like John Carpenter films are, are, are always a bit weird. Like the tone of them is always a bit strange. Like they're not quite set in this world. But I feel like this is probably the most normal film of his mm. that I've seen in that it's like, it's a pretty traditional solid ghost story, isn't it really? Like mm. a kind of revenge, avenging spirit sort of nautical ghost story. Mm -hmm. Carpenter was tapped to do these two films for Avco and he started actually writing it after the release of Halloween, but before, because it took quite a few months for Halloween to actually become this, you know, massive hit that it, that it turned out to be. And in terms of kind of budget, you know, Halloween was, you know, was $320,000. And obviously for a long time, I think until The Blur Witch was like the most profitable horror film until until that. Uh, and then The Fog had the you know, huge budget of $1 million dollars. Uh, which you, you can sort of you can see there is a there is a leap in terms of the production value, but it feels still feels what I always like about John Carpenter's films. It always feels a bit kind of like homemade. It has a kind of like guerrilla filmmaking vibe mm. about it. It's all practical, a mm. lot, lot of practical effects. Lot, it's not like big set pieces. It's not like big crowds. No, it has that, mm. you know, he's at his best when he's restrained by. It was written by Carpenter with Deborah Hill, who he had written Halloween with, and he'd met her on, uh, I think it's Assault on Precinct 13, where she was the script supervisor. Uh, so obviously they were kind of looking to sort of replicate the success of Halloween. It's, it's a great cast, and some curveballs in there with Tom Atkins, who is quite an interesting casting choice against <laughs> Jamie yeah, Kerr. Very interesting. <laughs> um, Hal Holbrook is brilliant, as mm. he, is, he was in everything. Nice to see a lot of the, the, the alumni from Halloween with Nancy Loomis. But yeah, obviously Andre Barbeau is the is kind of, is the lead, even though she doesn't have a huge amount of screen mm. time. It's quite interesting because it is quite an ensemble piece. Yeah. yeah. And the opening, I think, is one of its strengths. 
John Houseman, who was one of Orson Welles's producing partners. So it's very strange port, mm. strange casting. You know, he'd worked with Orson Welles in his theatre days, all up until it's kind of post Citizen Kane. Um, do you know yeah. where I? Do you know where I recognised him from? Can you oh. guess? Or um, it's a very similar role, in fact, in Scrooged. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I don't know whether he's supposed to be Charles Dickens in that, but he's like yeah. reading a Christmas Carol, and I was like, "Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite, quite a similar role." But yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, he is. Yeah, I think what I love about it is because he understands kind of ghost stories and storytelling. Mm. The fact that it opens with kids sat around a fire on a beach feels like the Goonies. Yeah, doesn't it when it opens? No. The, the, this this old bloke is telling a story, and the fact that it is perfectly timed with it's five minutes to midnight mm. but the story is about this this tragedy that happens on this night you know 100 years mm. ago it's perfect kind of folklore storytelling around the fire kind of opening and i think it's quite an interesting choice to have th this character you don't see again as well to mm. like he doesn't he's not a townsfolk that he's finding yeah i am um... I wasn't sure, maybe it's me being a bit thick or something, but I wasn't sure until you saw um, Adrian Barbeau's son later that yep. it, this, you know, this opening was within the world of the film, within the events of the film, if you know what I mean. I thought it might just be, you know, a, a, a tale about about the sort of the, the legend um, of that being yeah. told rather than, you know, it is actually just before it, it happens in, in order. Yeah. So, yeah. Whether well, it's just me or, you know. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right, because it does feel like quite separate, apart, like I say, mm. apart from the the, 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 the the child being in it later, it does feel like uh, like a, almost like a mm. pre-title like sequence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, you don't know where you kind of sit within that. The opening of the, the, the ghost story, this tragedy, beaches, mm. you know, you know it, it has a kind of, you know, the coastal town, it has this kind of MRJ, yeah. Feeling, you know, it's not a heavily populated town. You know, there's lots of there's the sense of isolation. Mm. Obviously, the lighthouse being, you know, perfect representation of Carpenter himself admitted that the the, the story of this, um, you know, the ship kind of mm. being caused to sort of your know, shipwreck because of this fire was based on a, a real story in Santa Barbara. That's where he got the idea for the fog. Was then you're introduced to all these kind of characters so you've got first off you see john carpenter making a cameo appearance as like a church warden or a cleaner or something while <laughs> how rocks like downing a bottle of <laughs> wine or something and, yeah and then obviously that starts the the plot with this the stone that falls off the wall and the journal mm. of town secrets is, mm. is revealed. <laughs> As it's the sort of DJ that's kind of... That's, oh, that's, yeah. You know, obviously, of course, the DJ's out of a, a lighthouse. Another brilliant kind of set piece, because obviously, lighthouse, the fire... Oh, that, yeah. Back to the, 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 the boat and everything, but I got kind of every time I watch it, I was getting slightly confused with playing Misty for me, the Clint Eastwood film. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which also has a DJ and has lots of jazz in, and is set in California. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and both highlight 
how lonely a DJ's job can be. Or <laughs> yeah. quite crucial bits, you know, of both stories. Yeah. I, I think there's some cracking characters in this uh, in yeah. this film, and some great like relationship, you know, twosomes and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I really like this idea of this. You know, it's <laughs> well, I won't do it. I won't do an impression, but. Um, <laughs> Her, her like sultry voice and all these male yeah. Um, yeah. male listeners like you know yeah <laughs> the weather after it oh yeah and this yeah yeah theory mate actually her what she plays is brilliant I, I would tune yeah. into that station like, <laughs> what you want in an evening it's perfect <laughs> evening lots of contemporary music. jazz mm. I love it yeah be all over that a really quite well thought out idea that that she's she's playing the, the old, part though yeah, isn't yeah, she yeah, I yeah. think mm. she's yeah, because as soon as she, as soon as she stops recording, then you know she's a complete yeah. different person. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The lighthouse, which is obviously you know her broadcasting across the town, you know, is able to warn people mm. that you know, and, and also you know, and uh, there's also the, the messenger to try and get people to the, ultimately go to the mm. to the to the church. Um, and also that she's kind of she does that. She knows she's a woman on her own in quite a yeah. vulnerable and lonely place. And there's some you see there's a, there's a clip where you see like a newspaper cutting talking about how she's bought the station and you get the impression that she's kind of I don't know like recovering from a I don't know a personal tragedy or something's happened you know the da- dad's not around you know a, hus- a partner or husband mm. and you know you ca- it kind of sets the scene that she's obviously um, sort of struck out on her own and is doing something that is mm. quite brave isn't it not only I mean being a DJ pretty brave yeah. I think and it's in itself but on your own at night in the yeah. lighthouse as a woman it's like oh yeah you know, she's pretty gutsy isn't she yeah and also and, and the fact that she does she sort of suffers guilt for, for, for like having to leave her son and yeah. you know, the night has to look after mm. her but yeah. then and ultimately later on you, you, she sends a message to even though she isn't in contact with her son to say that I have to stay here for the sake mm. of the people kind of thing because of mm. this with John Houseman telling his ghost story with the fire, he's obviously setting us up for not only in terms of you know an at- setting the atmosphere, but also you know the, the the tone. But also he's hinting at what the plot will be, which again is is is, a, is quite a sort of nice traditional kind of ghost story kind of trope. So the plot, which I had as a, as a kid, I think I had completely misunderstood, <laughs> and I hadn't got that the fact that. I just thought, oh, the fog brings the, the baddies, and the baddies just kills everyone. I hadn't, when I first watched it, clocked that they were they are, mm. you know, these tragic figure that you know when uh, Hal Holbrook discovers the, the journal that his grandfather had had, had written. Basically, what had happened a hundred years ago? There's a, a, a ship uh, with a with a. The, the, leper colony on it, wasn't it? Well, he wanted to set up a, a leper yeah. col- colony near the, the the township. Obviously, found out that the ship also had sort of gold. So, the, the instead of a lighthouse, they set up, they, they create a fire that draws into the rocks, and obviously, then the the the, the people are <coughs> on board are, are killed. But yeah, so the, this idea that the kind of Quite sympathetic, yeah. Again, I just thought they were there just to kill everyone with with with, with cutlasses and, and stab people. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, again? <laughs> think, I'm on their side. I'm like, I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're all killed just yeah. gold. Well, and also because they have leprosy, they yeah. were turned away because they were 
Yeah. yeah we're ill. It's awful. Mm. And and the fact that the vicar, the minister, I was complicit in that. Yeah. Yeah. Murder. And, and, it was the, yeah, and, and, and kept the gold found, yeah, and built the church. Found the it on. It's absolutely yeah. shocking, isn't it? Actually, yeah. really. It's, uh, and then you've got like characters like, like Janet Lee, who for me is almost like symbolic of the corruption in the town. I, can't, I don't know what her character, I don't know what her character is called. She's, but, just, you know, she's yeah, like symbolic it. of that kind of that, like superficial look mm. how wonderful everything yeah. is. And we're not really interested mm. in um, kind of how. Um, she just wants it to work. She's just organizing. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter how how many people, you know, how many yeah. lives were lost or what, how corrupt it is. Yeah, um, and obviously celebrate their, this landmark in their time. Yeah. Been, yeah. Which has all been built on, you know, murder okay. and lies and stuff. So. Yeah, dreadful, mm-hmm. shameful yeah. act. Yeah, and like the priest says, you know, with, with this, the, well, I, I can't remember how he words it, but he's like, you know, the celebrations of travesty or something like that, he says, mm-hmm. doesn't he, you know, and she, mm-hmm. it's... There's a scene not long after we kind of set things up where it's... It, which when I watched it again is it feels a little bit kind of out of place with the, the, the rest of the film. And it's where you get this sort of like poltergeist activity where it, there's things like there's, there's a guy in a kind of, I think it's the like a, um, convenience store is like mopping things yeah. up. And yeah. The bottom start to shake. And the, yeah. The fumes explode. Then suddenly pay phones start ringing mm. and then the, the, the garage, Caroline's yeah. got uh, the beeping. Yeah. And that's where you see Nancy Loomis looks out the window to see what's going on. And I always thought that was that was such a sort of... But, but the priest has just said between midnight and one belongs when, to the dead, doesn't yeah. he? And then the clock strikes mm. midnight and all this... I don't know. I don't know if it's because it wasn't kind of... You didn't get the fog that is what, what, what caused it. But it turns out that that was some of the stuff that they added in because... Yeah. The, the carpenter when he watched the, the first draft, you know, kind of first edit, was like, "This is this is rubbish. <laughs> this, is not, <laughs> this isn't working." So he wanted to ramp up the scares, mm. ramp up. And I think one of the other people had said that that basically people just disappeared into the fog, so you didn't actually see what happened to them. Which is why later on with the fishermen, you get to see sort of more kind of graphic kind of violence. And I always found that a bit strange that you get this kind of, kind of this activity, but it's not kind of like shrouded with the fog. It just sort of just happens. But I understand that obviously. I like it though. T- no, it I works really it. well. Yeah. It kind of explains that it's kind of they're trying to let's add something to make it a bit more kind of yeah scary. Like something's and, and coming, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that is that the first scene where you see Jamie Lee Curtis and someone's <laughs> weird looking dad in bed? <laughs> <laughs> is that? I thought that was I, I thought I was so well I thought so growing up I always thought she was the lead in this film so yeah. I was quite surprised that she's she's not I mean she I know she's quite a big character but she's not by you couldn't say that she's the main character in, no, in the film no. and obviously the when she's a hitchhiker and he picks her up and then she well she says something like oh it's my first time you know being picked up as a hitchhiker or something yeah. like that and then she immediately gives it away that it isn't and then does she yeah. say my 13th time or something yeah, like that something like <laughs> yeah. yeah so I thought that was quite a, and then obviously they end up in bed together and I thought that's yeah. quite a change of role for her from, yeah. from yeah. Uh, you know Halloween because that's a that's almost it's yeah. almost key to that character that she's like a virgin and, and, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah but I'll but but and I have no problem with her you know um well I mean it's probably not ideal to 
people you've literally just met. But especially when they look like somebody's dad. That's the problem I have. Parents, you must be like 30 years old. Yeah, I was was thinking like, it's not, you know, because I think sometimes people, actors look, older than they actually were, you know, when we've been covering Bond films and, like, Felix in Goldfinger's actually, like, 22 or something. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so I was thinking, I wonder how old this guy is. Is he only, like, 30 or something? But I think he was mid-40s when when this film came out. And I'd, I, I'd recognised the actor as well. And oh, yeah, yeah, It was a bit strange, like, like Jamie Lee Curtis isn't very old. She's only, like, 20-odd yeah. or something, yeah. isn't she? <laughs> it, it jars a bit for me, that, because I remember you saying to me that, that, this, that this was meant to be more like a sort of, this is like more of a family, not quite a family film, but like more he of a, was, yeah, like a, was more of a film yeah. younger, for sort of maybe younger viewers. And that to me just totally throws me. It just totally threw me. I was just like, oh, that's far more disturbing than any of the, <laughs> well, any of the gory bits I substituted in myself. It's just bizarre. Uh, yeah. It, and I was saying to Chris, like, it would have been, you know, if it had been like a bank, like a teenage lad that had picked through a court, you know what I mean? Like, you, it, you wouldn't. Yeah, have, yeah. Wouldn't be so strange. It's the fact that he mm-hmm. he is just yeah. so old. Anyway, <laughs> somebody's dad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he does look like someone. He does. He does. He does. Yeah, dad. yeah. <laughs> the lead in Halloween Three, yeah. the witch. He was in Lethal Weapon as well, wasn't he? I remember him yeah. like a. He was like a general who was inadvertently in charge of the drug smuggling that they were they were doing and stuff. So yeah, I do I do remember him. Mm. He's a great. He's, he's sort of obviously. He's like those old school kind of yeah, character. Like actors, character actors, yeah, you know? yeah. He yeah, wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't be on in town telly nowadays. No, no, no. <laughs> ugly, ugly. Not TV ugly. <laughs> 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 That's the, uh, <laughs> Simpsons. Simpsons, yeah. Um, yeah, but he's he's called uh, his character name is Nick Castle, and obviously Nick Castle was the uh, well production production assistant. I don't know what his official role title was, but he played the shape. In Halloween, and went on to um, direct the classic uh, Last Starfighter. Forgot oh, the Last Starfighter. Oh my word! Um, and he's actually, really, you know, a decent director in his own right. But on the radio, I think it's when he's with um, Jamie Lee Curtis. I think on the radio, he's playing you know, <laughs> some music, and he say, "Up next is the Coupe de Villes," and the Coupe de Villes is the band that, if you've seen. Big Trouble in Little China, they did the theme song, and that is John Carpenter, Nick Castle, and Tommy Lee Wallace, who was the editor and production designer of this film, who uh, directed uh, Halloween 3 as well. So this film is full of kind of like (coughs) references to (laughs) other actors, other people that, that Carpenter's worked with. And I, uh, if you do get a chance to look at the Big Trouble in Little China music video by the Coupe de Villes, it is definitely worth your time because it is hilarious. Night. Run until they take us away. 
Again, it's setting up all these characters coming to town. Then we cut to these drunk fishermen who are <laughs> obviously drunk. Uh, and Pervin. Pervin, yeah, yeah. And there's this, obviously, to hear the, the, the sound of this ship, the fog <coughs> is rolling in. We we're always getting kind of um, Charles Cyphers, the, uh, the weatherman who's always ringing up <coughs> the DJ. Mm. Another perv. Another perv. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Tyrion, man. Uh, give updates. Um, but there's, there's the shot, the reveal of like the, I don't know what he called you, like, it's not a pirate ship, but the, the, the ship. It's like that a galleon, is, isn't the it? Galleon, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is amazing. This shot of yes. this, you know, ghost ship is mm. looking up. Yeah, right up close. Yeah, really close. Yeah, as it goes past the, the trawler. Just fantastic. And that, like, like, that looks like, I don't know, probably a model or something. But it just adds so much value to the, the the production, and you know you've got these three fishermen, you know, all drunk, had too much beer, you know. Yeah, too many cans uh, of Budweiser because there's quite a few of them in this film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and then you come back to someone's dad, uh, yeah. Tom Atkins <laughs> and J.D. Lee, and there's this knocking on the door. So obviously, again, you're getting this yeah. kind of the the, the spirits, the, mm. you know, the, the ghouls or whatever, a gathering. The the revenge, yeah. Um, but there's some nice stuff, and I love the use of time. You know, the fact that obviously in the <laughs> opening you get the the you're told the time that during this period between like midnight till one, kind of like the witching hour. Yeah, yeah. And, I think that was mentioned. And, and so obviously when they're knocking on the door, which you were expecting the, the one of the the ghost pirates uh, to, to to attack Tom Akins, as soon as it turns one o'clock. They just step away and go. Uh, yeah, that's a really clever use of it building up tension. Yeah, yeah, and also, you know, a lot of the times when you're dealing with ghost stories, you need some kind of rules for them to operate in. Otherwise, they could just. Uh, mm -hmm. do, do you know what I mean? It's just so yeah. unpredictable that you can't. Your viewer sort of loses track of what they are capable of or what they aren't capable of. And I do like how these ghosts there are sort of limits to where they can be and what they can do. Yeah. On that first night, but on the second night, that's not the case, is it? No, it is. It, st it still sticks. Is it still between midnight? Still, is it all between midnight and one? It's no. the following night. Yeah, but surely all those events don't take place within one hour. They don't because it starts earlier because a little boy is up and about. He'd be in bed at midnight, wouldn't he? So I think I think on the first mm. night, between midnight and one, where you get the light knocking on the door and the, and the car alarms go off and all that. Perhaps. Stuff. The following night, mm. or the following day, sort of at early evening, is when it all when the, the fog rolls in and that's when, it, that's when the action yeah. kind of... Yeah, mm. that's right, isn't it? So they only have rules on that one night. Well, no, you're right. It must, it must be, I'm sure it's to do with when the the, the, the six conspirators... Uh, came up with the evil the plan. Yeah, on the first night. During that hour, yeah. So then <clears> that hour they have, the ghosts have power. Yeah. And then, and then because you're right, because the, the, the... The following day is the anniversary, isn't it? Because that's Andy. when they're going to do yeah. that. Because yeah. his, his nanny is 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 killed while yeah he's he obviously he's, he's yeah I was quite surprised by that because mm -hmm. again quite often in sort of scary films children are spared aren't they and I was thinking he's uh, gonna, yeah, yeah. he'll lock himself in his room and they won't come for him because he's only a little boy but they did mm -hmm. that surprised me a bit mm. I know he's I know he doesn't mm. die spoilers but I <laughs> I was you know I kind of thought that. You know, sometimes that's especially with you having told me, "Oh, come on, Jess, John Carpenter wanted to be a PG. You can watch this. <laughs> like, they won't kill a small child in a PG." <laughs> but they were coming yeah. with the hook. Mm -hmm. But I mean, Jaws in '75 was what was that a PG? Uh, and uh, was it know, a PG? That... Jaws? No, it's not. I, th 
When it was first released, I think it might have been. Um, it's not. Oh my goodness. <gasps> and obviously a child. I'm sure it Come on, I know. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Family film. Good grief. You appreciate it. No way. I think, it was, I think it was a maybe a G or whatever the equivalent was in America or something. But anyway. Right. Okay. So you can. I'll take that back. You can kill small children in PGs. Yeah. Yeah. Kill away. Yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a great scene with I think it's when when Janet Lee and Nancy Lewis go to visit Hal Howard. Yeah. Is that the bit where he just comes out of the dark and taps? Yeah. 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 So first of all, the door opens mysteriously. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I found. In fact, I found this scene quite funny. And again, I think they're a brilliant twosome, Nancy Lewis and Janet yes, Lee. Yeah. Yeah, 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 There's some yeah. good dialogue and yeah, there is some good. I don't know character interactions between them. I really like it. Yeah, they come back to the church later on, don't they? Mm. Everybody else. Does, yeah. But. The sea where Hal Halbrook just explains the entire plot yeah. and reads from the journal yeah. and explains yeah. Yeah. and Natalie's like Oh well. <laughs> Never mind. Celebration of our ancestors. That's quite well, I, I that's quite classic the, horror film though, isn't it? Where yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. someone's ignoring. given a warning and they yeah, yeah. They completely ignore it. Yeah. yeah absolutely. The scene where she, she goes back to the, the lighthouse. And there's a brilliant shot where you see her walking down oh, the steps. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's and amazing. It's, again, it's just brilliant. a sense of isolation. Yeah. And it also just looks, it almost like gives you a bit of vertigo when you're kind of moving oh, down. Yeah, it like does, yeah. Hundreds of steps. Because she's off the air, there's like a radio kind of message that's being played. It's all like, you know, KAB, da 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 da. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Tommy Lee Wallace, who's the editor and production designer and director of Halloween 3 who did the Silver Shamrock It's almost time kids the clock is ticking be in front of your TV sets for the horathon and remember the big giveaway at 9 don't miss it the clock is ticking. It's almost time. Her son finds. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually a coin, isn't it? Oh, it's a coin. That's right. It's a coin, and it turns into. Yeah. Yeah. And it's from the, the name of the Elizabeth Day. Yeah. And she and she yeah. takes it into the studio. Yeah, she, she does. And the recording goes all funny and scary. It's a brilliant, really brilliant scene. Yeah. Where yeah. it sort of starts to get a bit wet. Yeah. Like the water starts. Yeah. Yeah. And then it sort of drips down the sort of eight tracks and it goes to, and there's a weird kind of like voice. Yeah, I know. Oh. Explaining six must die. Yeah. Burnt six months die appears, doesn't it? On yes, the water. For a second. And then goes yeah. back. Yeah. yeah. And everything's back to normal. Yeah. 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 Love that. Love supernatural warnings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also they're setting up the, the, the rules of this. Yeah. Which I know that in some of the reviews, people said that it, it, it caused 
sort of a lack of tension because if you know that six people have to die for this to be resolved, you're basically counting, all right, okay, so the fishermen have died, so how many is that? One, two, three, you know, it, so that leaves three more left. So if they die, you know, yeah. you kind of find yourself mm. kind of working things out. I don't find that. I think it's more like it feels like a sort of ticking clock. Yeah. Out, mm. out of this ensemble cast, anyone's up mm. yeah. for mm. Mm. You know, for, for it rather than. I must admit, I do. I do find a sense of relief in the fact that the that the death toll is limited to six. I think that that's because I'm a bit soft. Like I was like when I saw that six months down, I was like, oh six months, oh, oh three have died already. Brilliant. So for me, it was a bit like because I'm so scared when I watch horror films. There was a, there was there was for me like a little. I wouldn't say less tension, but I did feel as well. Yeah, probably a bit less tense because I felt a sense of. Of relief that mm. that not everybody was going to be massacred. Yeah, it's strange. It, isn't it? it gives you like a bit of a safety net. <clears throat> For me, it is. It provides a bit better. But I like that. It's not a criticism. Yeah, like you, like almost like in that opening with the, the sort of poltergeist activity. Mm. You, you're expecting, you know, the, the law, the sort of the rules of cinema are telling you that the guy who's cleaning. You know, with the in the sort of general store, he's going to get killed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's something's going on, but he doesn't at no. all. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I think it's quite refreshing that, like, say, it kind of adheres to its rules that mm. this kind of set up, and that that this kind of the the, the time allows, but also that the only they, they want to kind of claim six lives. Mm. Um, is this countdown and actually adds more tension rather than they just like will blindly kill. Yeah. Where does the um, the scene in the mortuary happen? Oh, is, that, yeah. is that before? Is that before the, the scary voice? Oh, is it? Yeah, okay, it's just after. Okay, because yeah. that's really that's a really tense scene, isn't it? Someone's dad and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis mm. go to the, basically to see the, this doctor played by Darwin Johnson, who played Napoleon Wilson from Assault on Precinct Thirteen. They inexplicably have access to they do everywhere. Just like, how do they get into a poetry? Yeah. Like, that's. Yeah, I also. I also loved the uh, the doctor's clothes because he was just dressed as every, everyone else was, if you know what I mean. He <laughs> didn't have like, any coat or. Great yeah. yeah. And again, I. Like on, on like on paper, I think with, with lesser filmmakers, that scene where she's sort of. where Jamie Curtis is sat. With her slightly turned away from the body, you know the hand, the dead body reaching for a scalpel, you know, and then yeah. you know standing up, the you don't see him, you know, you see the feet landing on the. Mm. I think in lesser hands, I think it would be really cheesy because I think it's not again it's one, one one scene where I think that it, so people are coming back to life now. Yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't seem to sit well with. With that, so these people, this guy has been killed, and he's whatever he's been claimed. Why is he? Yeah, come back to life with a warning. With a warning, warning the th of three. It just but maybe, maybe, yeah, but well, yeah, but, but I suppose he, he, he's because they talk about how he's he's almost become like of the ocean, hasn't he? You know, when they talk, when they because before that, before he comes back to life, the beer the, full of. The, the doctor is yeah. telling someone's dad about how he's like, you know, I swear he'd been in the water for months. You know, he's like, yeah, they, they'd all been drowned, but they hadn't been drowned. But yeah, but he's talking about how he's like, yeah. he, he looks like he's been in water for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like to me, like he's 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 they, they're able to use his body in the same way that they use the piece of driftwood to send a message. 
because he's not he, because yeah. he's, he's on the sea now kind of thing. Does that does that? Yeah, that, that was what I took of that. I, I was quite shocked to see that he's got no eye. I know that it's sort of implied in the boat. It's it stabbed the in the eyes. Yeah. You, don't, you don't see the actual yeah. stabbing of the eyes. You, it's in, Again, it's like mm. kind of implied. And then to see him on the table, eyeless, is quite gruesome. And, it, and again, sort of put paid to the, you know, and I was thinking, it's just going to be just a PG, this. It's, it's, just, it's just a family <laughs> film. Chris isn't going to make me watch anything scary. I was like, no, that's really disturbing. He's <laughs> on his eyes. <laughs> yeah, he's come back to life. Yeah. Yeah. Now he's, yeah, now he's reanimated. It's um, but then it also just yeah. sort of collapses. No, it's not PG material, <laughs> but he's not trying to hurt her, is he? He's no, he's, he's sending a warning. warning. Yeah, yeah, three. Right in the floor. Yeah. yeah, and and also and then and then someone's dad and the doctor just come back in and they're just like. There is that course. They are quite casual. Like, yeah. Just like, <laughs> take it in their stride, don't they? Just like, you know, just another day at the office kind of thing. <laughs> well, I suppose if, if, you know, the rules of this film is that someone's dad can pick up Jamie Lee Curtis. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, 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 it's true, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the most supernatural, unbelievable, <laughs> to spend the league bit. Yeah. The Hidden Britain Sign Company produces handmade signs and print inspired by British folk horror and unsettling TV, film and literature. Whether you are a fan of M.R. James, haunted children's television or public information films of the 1970s, you are sure to find something of interest over at their web store. Go to hiddenbritain.bigcartel.com or follow them on Twitter at BritainCo for more information and haunted content. Use the code Hidden Britain 21 at the checkout to receive 10% off your first order. Terms and conditions apply. Hidden Britain cannot be held responsible for any subsequent hauntings, nightmares, or disturbed childhood flashbacks resulting from the purchase of their signs and prints. There's a power court, you know, this is pretty kind of traditional stuff. You know, the four lines are then caught, mm. you know, and, and, and obviously the, the main line of communication is, is, is from the DJ yeah. broadcasting across the, the, the yeah. town. From because she's got that gen backup generator, isn't that? Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I like how traditional it is and how it really builds up kind of tension. And there's all these. I love when you in the beginning of a film that you meet all these kind of these quite distinctive characters who don't necessarily have something in common, but are then brought together by this tragedy or you know the horror. And I think it works really well that you know, like you've mentioned before about. Janet Lee and, and Nancy Leavis having a kind of almost like mother daughter yeah, kind of yeah. dynamics of her being mm. almost like rolling her eyes. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Is it awesome? Yeah. Yeah. Ghost pirates descend on the church with everyone in. And there's some brilliant visuals there. Mm. And I think that's oh, yeah. really that's memorable scenes. I think with the with the, the fog in the church, that the, the you know, when did the eyes glow red? Well, that's 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 right at the end. That's, that's Blake, right. who's the, the the sort of the main kind of character, and that's played by Rob Botin, who did the special effects and did the special effects for the thing. Um, he played that character, and it's such a striking image, isn't it, with his glowing eyes, you know, with his cutlass mm. surrounded mm. by fog in the church, and mm. yeah, I just think it's uh. It's, it, yeah, it's, it, it's a stunning. It's a stunning image when they come into the into the sort of the the church main hall area and the lights sort of dipping in. You can you can sort of barely see them, but they're there. There's like six, the six of them, 
Mm. Um, and also, I thought that was pretty... Like a lot of ghost stories, there's usually just one ghost, usually maybe two or something at what, but like six, like just being there, those, those figures ominously and the lighting and everything, it was, it was really striking. And what do, what do you think of the, 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 the scene where Dino's sort of climbing onto the roof of the, the lighthouse? Yeah. I, you know, being, there's two trying to get her at both sides. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, Pretty, pretty scared, pretty nightmarish stuff. I think you know that's mm. what you sort. Of, and again, it, maybe it's just me, but I don't know whether it's been in my, some of my dreams or something like you, you escape to the roof or whatever, and then you're looking and you, the hands don't appear yet. They don't appear yet, and then suddenly you see the hands yeah. with the hook. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, I, I really liked it because there was the 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 threat was in different geographical locations. Yeah all at once, you know, and I don't know. I just, I, I, I quite like that because of course the fog was descending everywhere. How these ghosts are very physical, aren't they? Like quite yeah. often in ghost things, they can just pass through doors. Yeah, they can just yeah, appear wherever they like, can't they? Yeah, yeah. Whereas these, these ghosts are like physical, like chunky, big. Like you can fight them off by kicking them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Usual, isn't it in a ghost <laughs> story? You can't usually like throw you can things barricades. So barricade your door. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. You know, Hal Holbrook realizes that he's like. The error, you know, like he is also part of this, and you know the, the fact that that the church was built from from, mm. from the gold that they had recovered from the, the the shipwreck, and and he tries to sort of sacrifice himself, and it turns out that, that all the gold gold was like melted down into a cross, mm. um, <laughs> which obviously leads to some great imagery with with him walking out trying to carry the yeah, massive no, yeah. Some of it was quite funny actually. I mean, inadvertently, the way he was holding it. And so- yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and obviously he thinks that that's just basically that this will end it and you know I don't think he does think I think he thinks he's sacrificing himself yeah, as well. I, I, yeah. I think yeah, yeah. he's hundred percent up for giving himself and the gold yeah. over to but that's where you get he thinks that will be the end of it. Yeah. 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 I think he's surprised though, isn't he? Well it's because it's because it's somebody's dad to die. That, that pulls him back. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Blake is holding the cross and it starts to glow. Yeah. What's somebody's dad called? Because we can't keep calling him that. Tom Atkin. Tom well, Atkin. Tom. Nick Castle Nick, is the character. Nick he pulls him back and so therefore kind of like breaking, you know, the sort of stopping it. So Blake gets the gold and then the other not, not, not six. number six. And is is then obviously leads to kind of, you know, classic final scare before that you get you know the DJ tell everyone about the, the the fog. Watch out for the fog. You know, kind of keep your eyes, kind of watch the skies and all that kind of thing. Um, and then you cut back to to Hal Howard in the church when he realizes that Blake's coming for his sixth victim, and then mm. Mm. and he cuts yeah to the music. There's a lot of there's a lot of kind of religious imagery in there, isn't there? Even it's but interestingly, I think the church. Is it, which is a place where you would expect the loads of religious imagery. It's quite a plain kind of building, isn't it? It's just essentially a big stone room with some stained glass windows. It's not, it's not, it's not, not grand, yeah. No, and nor is it kind of gothic or spooky. It's quite a 
it's quite you know you could make it really spooky couldn't you a church building and it's not it's quite a plain but you know you've got like the whole like the sins of the fathers kind of theme mm. um you know obviously the priest is the main can i ask you, you know. why why do you think or why why is it that adrienne <laughs> adrienne barbo um why does she why does she tell everyone to go to the church i know why for the purpose of the <laughs> <laughs> of the film and everything for the tension and everything but is there a specific reason isn't it because it's the highest point and she can see that the fog she doesn't think the fog is going to reach right is, is that why I'm yeah, because the lighthouse yeah, is quite low lie. isn't it it's, yeah it's quite, it's quite like a stubby lighthouse quite low in, on the coast it doesn't sit up high so maybe she sort of thinks yeah yeah right. I mean I, I mean I'm you know I don't like I'm not particularly bothered but I thought wouldn't wouldn't you just drive away, you know, as fast as you can? Yeah, anyway. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't mind. I think yeah. it, it's good that it, it climax, you know, that the climax is there and everything. But actually it. only a very small number of people do go to the church, which would suggest that her radio show isn't that popular. Oh <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. I get it. There's another, apart from the scene where there's like a, like a candle march type thing, Janet, Janet Lee thing. speaks mm. at you don't really see anyone. No, no, you don't. don't. (laughs) The the kids at the start, but then you don't see any of them. I don't think. Yeah, again, that's what I like. I I, I love that sort of tradition because it's it's based on, obviously, the the budgets don't stretch to Mm. extra. But in horror or kind of, you know, like ghost stories, it works really well because you don't want, you know, the the loneliness of the the coast and everything works. Mm. Perfectly mm. well. So if it was too obvious, if you know, if you were setting this with the population of like Jaws, you know, Amityville, Amityville, yeah. Amity Island, Amity Island, Amityville is obviously <laughs> yeah. so Amity Island. It would be a bit weird because then you would have more, you know, yes, yeah, six, like, six yeah. must die. It would have been yes, over and over. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> a good a really good horror film because it is like a sort of classic ghost story with almost elements of a, a halloween you know where people are trapped in a building with someone stalking them almost i mean there are one or two elements of that but it is mainly a ghost story i absolutely love the setting i remember i remember thinking i don't, I don't know why when i watched um whistle and i'll come to you or it might even have been a warning to the curious like, well, the seaside isn't scary. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's loads of people and tourists there and stuff, but yeah. my word, it can be, and it can be so isolating. And, and you know, you're limited in where you can go. And I, I think that that lighthouse, I think that's absolutely a brilliant. I, I presume that's on location. That's not at all. Yeah. They, I, I think, you know, that what a what a great find. It's it's a brilliant setting. I really, I really do like the characters. Um, as I said before, um, there's some good humour in there. There's some, there is a lot of tension and and some scares. A lot of the violence is implied, 
so it's not r- ridiculously gratuitous. Um, mm. I think is that the same with Halloween? Is Halloween you don't actually see as much as you? As you... It's, like, it's got loads of boobs in it and stuff. Halloween, hasn't it? Yeah, it leans <laughs> more into that kind of gratuitous, like teen slasher. Yeah, but, but not like blood. Um, there isn't blood everywhere, yeah. and a lot, of, a lot of yeah. the a lot of the kills are signalled by a sound effect or a bit of music yeah. rather than. Um, which might be the same with like Psycho as well, but um, yeah, I I I I, re- I did really like it. I thought I thought it was a really inter- like a really good horror, but not necessarily by the numbers. I know there are some elements that are typical horror, but there were there are things that I'd clearly that had stayed with me when I'd watched a bit of it in the past. I did like the scenes where she she was in the lighthouse on her own, and that bit with the 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 plank of wood with Dane, mm. and then turning. I I, I really like that because. You know, you're not quite. You don't know if something will something appear to get her, but no, it's just like a, a warning. But it's really, it's really creepy, and I, d- I do like that thing of, and it's in other horror films where there's something sinister, but then it goes back to normal, and it's like, well, did she dream it? But the the viewer knows that she didn't dream it, but yeah. Uh, but the, yeah. So I, I did really like that. I like I like exposition when it's done well in films. Maybe some people might think there's too much of you know a guy reading from a book to other people, but I quite like that to be honest. And I and um, it, it sets the 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 rules of the world and the the story that you're going to see up really nicely. So so yeah, I, I, I'd say mainly those scenes with her on her own were really good, and I thought she was a really good actress, and she was able to, you know. She wasn't out of her depth being on her own for a lot of the time. Yeah, I, I think I broadly agree with Matt. I, I didn't expect, you know, as you know, I was extremely reluctant to watch it. And I only watched it because I love you so much. And actually, really did enjoy it. And, you know, I, I found it, it was a good, fun watch. I feel like the tone of it is up and down sometimes. Like it doesn't always, it's not always quite right. But overall, I, and, and, I, and I really am mostly referring to Jamie Lee Curtis having sex with someone's dad. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just feel like that is just so weird. Yeah, it is. It's just so strange and doesn't sit in the wider film. And in fact, you know, I obviously, you know, we've got a, we've got a seven-year-old and, and I do think about, you know, would I show, you know, quite often when I watch things, I'm thinking, is this, would I let this, my child watch this? What age is this okay for my child to watch? Um, and I feel like, that's that's the bit that makes it not okay for a kind of mm. younger audience, actually. I don't mean like a seven-year-old audience, but, you know, like 10, 11, 12, kind of mm. younger high school. Because it's not it's not really violent, is it? It's spooky. But but actually, um, it, it, I think it sits quite well in that in the, within that kind of wider tradition of ghost stories. Um, I, yeah, no, I, I, I like it. And it's probably, you know, it's not as scary as John Carpenter's other films, is it? It's not as scary as... It's not, is it? It's not. I mean, even Big Trouble in Little China is probably scarier in parts, actually. It probably is, though, isn't it? Because, you know, Big Trouble in Little China's got some really dark mm. um, sort of imagery. Uh, and I think it's probably not, or, or, or only as scary as that. I think, so I, I, think, think I can understand why, though, like you as a child, I mean, certainly. Yeah, but I was quite like, young, like. Yeah, but the idea of someone knocking like that on your, on your door, I don't know. I find that pretty. Yeah, that's a scary idea, and I think that's yeah. You know, you can it's you can imagine a very classic kind. Of, you can imagine telling that story. Yeah, in 
like in Adventures in Babysitting, they're telling ghost stories, aren't they? And she says, and the babysitter has a hook for a hand. You know, it's that kind of, I feel like, like, not look, rap, 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 not look, not It's a hook. He's got, he's got a lot of kind of very traditional yeah. ghost story trappings, which I really love. And I feel like there's almost a slight safety in that because um, it's familiar. So if you've read a book of ghost stories, if, you're, if you've read like a, a book of classic ghost stories, you'll have come across elements of this story. In one in one way or another, but I, but I love that because I love that tradition. You know, I'm a big fan of kind of Mr. James and Ghost Stories for Christmas, and I really I really like I really like that. Mm. And they have a kind of they have a they have you know you mentioned about assault on precinct thirteen that they have that kind of like they're a bit zombie like, aren't they? You know, they're kind yeah. of like relentless that they're coming, and there's not much nothing you can do to stop mm. it because they are kind of relentless they're coming, and that's kind of a, another sort of traditional. Um, yeah, and, and and the fact that you've got you know the use of the weather, the, the fog, it, it mm. shrouds them. Everyone could associate with that, you know, the, the mm. fact that's what is hidden mm. in here. I think the dialogue is excellent. I think the di- I think the dialogue is, is also excellent in Halloween. Mm. Yeah. Really funny and really, like you say, really natural. And it, it, like Matt said, there are some great relationships in this, and great with some really great characters, and genuinely scary moments. Mm. And I, and I think. Not, but also not it's not like relentlessly frightening, isn't it? You know, there are there are moments of, of relief. For me, as a scaredy cat, this is a really this is like a perfect level of scare. <laughs> mm. In a way. It's not unbearable, it's not really gratuitous, it's not really gruesome. Mm. I, I th- and no a, Another um another image that just to mention that I thought was amazing was in the church, because we were talking about them smashing through the stained glass windows that was quite yeah. and you know that's quite a powerful image in a way because it's like you you think the sanctuary of a church will protect you and yeah. but ghosts smashing yeah. through a stained glass window yeah. is yeah it's quite yeah and you know it looked great as well and was and again i thought quite scary yeah. <laughs> pulling, yeah. pulling on any woman they could find's hair they were and and the fact that they burnt that they, that they melted down the gold and made a cross out of it I, mean, I think that's pretty sim. That's yeah, pretty heavy symbolic, isn't it? It is. It's well, you know, the, 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 the kind of the kind of quintessential symbol of Christian yeah. faith. Um, but yeah. it should be a symbol of humility, and and was utterly corrupted. But yeah, I think it's. I think there's a lot more under the surface in it when they scratch the surface. There's a lot more symbolism mm. going on. Well, that's what makes it interesting is the fact that they they deliberately kind of you know grounded this ship to steal the gold. Yet to found this town, but they actually melted the gold down to make a cross. Like they'd always like regretted it. Mm. You know that they didn't use the gold to actually. Yeah, yeah. Like they almost hid it in plain sight or something. Yeah, it, yeah, it, 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 it was hidden. Yeah, the, 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 the oh yeah, yeah. With the was founded. Yeah, off the, the, off the back the of back of the gold, oh. but actually it wasn't. The, well. The, well, some, some of it, of it was, was, yeah. was melted down for a cross. Like they'd, they'd known what they'd, they'd done and felt that there were going to be repercussions, potentially supernatural ones. Well, the priest in in the book, in the book from 100 years ago, he says, doesn't he, something about, I've already said this, that he says between, you know, midnight and one belongs to God help us all or something mm. like that. Like there is a, mm. there is a sense of um, regret and, and of impending revenge, you know. Mm. Do you, do you think it's a bit unfair on uh, Hal Holbrook's character? I mean, he he accepts it almost that well, yeah, because because my well, grandfather, great grandfather, yeah. no, whatever, 
because he did that, I'm, you know, and I'm, mm. I'm now a priest as well. Also, you know, you didn't have to go into the same line of, uh, but <laughs> you know, he, I don't. It's he, he well, sees I'm it out. as inevitable, but. It's, yeah. bib- it's very again. It's very biblical, isn't it? Like that, you know, that you're being punished mm. it, unto the next generation. And yeah, yeah, generation. yeah. That's true. Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of again, like mm. I don't know. I don't think it's fair. I think he's a great character, and you're really rooting for him, and you're relieved, aren't you, when he yeah. doesn't die? Yeah, because he's he, it be, and because it, and also because he's the only one at that point earlier on in the film that actually wants to hold his hands up and say this is really shameful. We need to we need to yeah acknowledge this really mm. dark. Yeah, which is why he's forthcoming, trying to tell yeah. people to say yeah. this, this whole term is is is, is this is a it sham. Is, this yeah, is he's kind of like the least deserving of it, yeah. isn't he, of the death? But then also he kind of he's also the one willing to be the sacrificial lamb to save mm. to save the others, isn't he? Apparently, in the novelization, it basically says that the six that are killed. The six that must die are all descendants of the original conspirators. Oh, right. Which explains, obviously, the father, Malone. Yeah. Don't know about the nanny. <laughs> no. And obviously, there's three fishermen. That's that's um, it's kind of stretching it a little bit. So there's three fishermen, the nanny, father, Malone. Who's number six? Who's the six? Oh, the guy, the perfect. The weatherman. The weatherman. Yeah, the weatherman. Yeah. Charles. <laughs> it's yeah. a disgrace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you like action movies, and you love the stars who perform their own stunts, right? Okay, stop. That's not what this show is. We visit movies from the archive and explore the stunt performer's role in creating the magic you see on screen. We take a deep dive into the stunt itself and break it down so you can better understand how important the stunt performers are to big and small screen productions. Join me, John Orty, every Wednesday for the podcast and every Friday for the YouTube episode. Action Movie Secrets every week when we go behind the stunts. Find it wherever you find your podcasts. You do get these kind of characters who are, you know, not necessarily that likable or, you know, it's full of interesting. They're not all like cardboard cutouts. It's like actually he's mm. a bit of a sleep. You know, yeah, she's quite annoying. You're not that sad when he dies. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Like you're not yeah. that sad about him. Yeah, and he's quite an interesting set. It's like, and what's implied is that he's been kind of phoning up the station, like almost like to get off of the weather, but really to chat her up. Yeah, she's yeah. Like, she's like, oh, she's fed up with his yeah. constant yeah. advances, you know, and just kind of like shrugs it off. And I like how much is implied through the acting and very little dialogue as well. Mm. And, and it's that. What I love about John Carpenter's films, particularly when he is writing them, is that that economy of, of storytelling <clears throat> is that he can imply so much with mm. so little, as well as the way he shoots things. Yeah, everything's almost shot in like a medium shot. There's very little close-ups, very little wide shots. It's just simply shot, but really well, beautifully lit. <laughs> Dean Cundy, you know, amazing, you know, direct photography, and I think he, with the score, I don't know that everyone's fan of the music but I, it's so atmospheric and it, it, it works so well with obviously him writing a score to his images is where it works perfectly mm. well because he's teeing them up precisely and like you say what we mentioned like Halloween with some of the violence you don't necessarily see the violence you'll hear a musical cue mm. that implies the violence and that's almost more shocking than actually if you saw yeah. it I feel I should point out here that I have no problem with the score in the context of the film whatsoever. What I don't want to do is to listen to it on vinyl. 
um, is that just, a... just, while just while I'm mooching about the house. Right. Is that a loaded comment, that's, Jess? Or... That's, that's, yeah. Are you goading? That's, that's, when I, that's when I'm not a fan of the score. I don't matter, you know, in the, in the context of the film, I think it works brilliantly. I just don't want to, I just don't want to listen to it while I potter about doing my, you know, my jobs. I'm deleting this. <laughs> <laughs> But on that point of the of, 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 of the, the the music is that when after he saw like the working print and decided he wanted to shoot lots of like inserts and obviously had the poltergeist activity scene, there's the stabbing on the you know make it a bit more kind of graphic in that kind of sense of that's what happens when you get caught in the fog, and then there's the, the another insert on the, the roof of the lighthouse where you, the face is caught of one of the pirates and there's worms coming out of his face again it's just to sort of make it a bit more kind of yeah play into the hands of kind of more like horror you know that makes it more horrific so that all happened over a one month period and during that one month period john carpenter rewrote a completely new score for the film which is what you have in that so there's actually another score that he'd written for the original kind of you know working print Mm. that we haven't heard so maybe someone. I would imagine it sounds pretty have, similar, honestly. You know, a, a limited print on vinyl of John Carpenter's scores. I don't. I'm not. I don't love that bit actually with the wormy pirate. Yeah, it's, I feel it's, like yeah, that doesn't sit so yeah. well. It's not how I. I think I know you don't see them, but you kind of fill in the gaps, don't you, in your own imagination? Mm. That's not what they look like in my head. I don't picture them looking quite so wet. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. No. Well, they've been at sea. Well, I know, it's true. Yeah. Literally wet, not, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, that sort of like, they look, they look a bit like, well, a bit like in the, you know, the, the thing, the creature has a sort of wetness to it, doesn't it? But that's yeah, it's not like alien. gelatin. But yeah, like gel- yeah, whereas I don't, I didn't picture them to look, to look like that. But anyway. I always thought that the, the fog was quite the, you know, it bombed, you know, obviously mm. in comparison to, to, Halloween, it wasn't this massive, you know, changing the face of cinema. Um, but it, it cost like $1.1 million, made $21 million mm. box office, which is, I think is very respectable yeah. return. Largely, reviews were quite negative because everyone felt like, how can this compete with almost what Carpenter had started with Halloween? Like, is this a slasher film? You know, is this a horror film? Mm. How can you compete to more sort of violent, more explicit stuff but i think over the years it has been re-evaluated as, as one of his better ones because it is so simple and it is such much more of a sort of traditional ghost story really well well told we won't discuss the 2005 remake uh, i think in terms of the in terms of carpenter you know i mean that run of um if, if it was i mean forgive me i'm probably wrong but in general terms like halloween then the fog and then the thing I mean, those are three pretty amazing horror films that are quite varied. Yeah, I would say and pretty original. I would, pro- I, I wouldn't hold it up to those other two. Um, I wouldn't say it's like a masterpiece because those other two are and and everything. But I think it's a pretty, pretty good, you know, horror film and and better than many, many horror films that I've seen, you know, over the last however many years or. or whatever I, I think it's i think it's a really good one and if i saw you know i'd be tempted i've got i've got a fondness for it i think as well so if yeah. if i if i saw it was on tv i'd i'd be tempted to keep it on and watch the rest of it 
and it's not that long either. So you know, again, yeah, the economy of, of yeah, it, it wraps up. Yeah. it's ninety minutes. Does yeah. exactly what you want it to do. Yeah, and like I say, it, you know, obviously you compare it to you know, like I say that run that he did up, up until kind of like maybe mid to late eighties. Some amazing films mm. in there, you know, like real kind of cultural kind of touchstones of things like you know Halloween, you know, and the thing. But also, he'd done a, you know a song Precinct Thirteen, a brilliant yeah. another height sort of action kind of film. You know, obviously paying homage to to, to, to Howard Hawks, and then you've got you know like things like the Fog, traditional kind of ghost stories, and then you've got Escape from New York. You've got you know, and then and then later on in his career, kind of doing these kind of weird, just like these films that kind of just completely dropped off, you know, people's radars with you know, Prince of Darkness and They Live and In the mm. Mouth of Madness. And then and then later, and towards the end, you know, like 90s, he just got dismissed as this kind of like B-movie straight to sort of DVD kind of filmmaker, which I think is yeah. really... Um, I don't think it's justified. But like, I mean, they are kind of B-movies, but mm. I, like, yes. I like... I sort of... I like that about him. Mm. Like, B-movie is his aesthetic. Oh, yeah. And oh, I yeah. think that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think he, he understood that what... He was, like... Obviously, his his hero was, was, was Howard Hawks, and Howard Hawks made studio pictures, whether it was a Western, whether it was, you know... You know, a, a crime noir or film noir film. That's what that's what he did. He worked within that, and that's what he wanted to do. Which is why he got this. You know, and and later on, like people say that that his career kind of went off the rails because he did actually get backing of, of big studios, where his, his budget wasn't. You know, it wasn't limited. It wasn't limited. Yeah, and I think he worked better. The limitations kind of reined him in, and mm. he was able to be more, more kind of um, sort of creative. Mm. Like when you look at, you know, Escape from L.A., which personally I think is great fun. You know, people dismiss it as, oh, well, you know, he was able to get studio backing. It was paramount. You know, he was able to get all these actors. He was able mm. to get, like, the early days of CGI, which hadn't aged very well. Um, but, yeah, I think it, I think Carpenter's works well, you know, on a shoestring mm. uh, because that's his style. The style is you know, economical and, you know, to the point. Yeah, did they do Star- Star- and Starman? Starman, yeah. I love Starman. It's so sweet. I like Starman as well. I, I, yeah. I really yeah. like Starman, in fact. Yeah, yeah. It's Another. a really, really sweet it film, is. and it doesn't, and it shows that he's capable of actually doing things that aren't horror, sort of sci-fi yeah. weirdness. Because it is a really, really sweet film. It is. It's well, it's like, again, it's like, I understand why he, he would do that because it's like it's science fiction. Yeah, it but is. Also, but it's, it's traditionally it's just but a, it's love also story. a love story. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, and he handles it perfectly. He handles the the love story just as well as the science mm. fiction story. Yeah, yeah. And goes to show what a great filmmaker you know he is. And I'd mm. love to see him you know pull something out of the bag before it's too late. He should put down his bloody PlayStation <laughs> and, uh, and actually make a film. Which is this talk about him actually picking up, isn't it? Doing the, the sequel to the thing, something. Oh, really? Been chatting about recently. Mm. Yeah, and obviously he's doing film scores. Is it the Halloween sequels? You've seen him live, haven't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Concert. Yeah. Mm. Did he do anything from the fog? I don't think he did actually. I don't think he did. He did all the kind of the greatest hits. Yeah. 
And you were there in the mosh pit. Yeah, <laughs> me and my brother. Yeah, and just really well told. I feel I feel like the fog is a good sort of partner to Big Trouble in Little China. I feel like they're sort of yeah. they both have a Goonies feel. Is the only way. Yeah, I can the fog would make it. a like great feel, double bill with the Goonies. They feel like you could watch them with a load of thirteen-year-olds, sort of kind of thing. Yes. Have a, mm. have a, have a, yeah. Whereas less so the thing. In fact, definitely not the thing, and possibly even not Halloween. Um, Do you think that, that a modern audience would find the fog to be too slow? Um, perhaps, but on I mean, the pacing of a lot of horror films is first half not so much, and then around the midpoint, that's when it all cranks up. Is that not? Is that not the case? Yeah, I just mean that the, the the threat isn't the same as. Um, I'm trying to think about a modern horror film that has the the it is like a a, 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 you know, a spirit or a ghost that, that's actually that terrible one with the witch on a wardrobe that's, <laughs> that's, quite, that's a that's haunted house that's not this is no. what makes this different is that you can't you know as long as there's fog it's like you know because obviously a haunted house is that you can you're st- stuck in there it's like the it's like mm. the town is haunted mm. so it's on a bigger scale as opposed to you know the Conjuring or Amityville or something like that. Or... But, do, but I'm not sure that there are very many ghosts. No, that's what I'm saying. Because they so tend different. to be more like really gruesome, like body horror type things, like, like really gruesome or torture things and stuff like that, don't they? But I like to think that you could show this to, you know, like a 13, 14-year-old who's like interested in kind of horror or ghost stories and they would, it would still engage them because it is so yeah, definitely. Yeah. well-told and yeah, engaging. Sure. Yeah. It's not as flashy, I think, as, yeah. as modern modern horror or thrillers. I, I don't think it's slow at all. I think perhaps it was before they did, before they introduced the poltergeist bit. Maybe it did take a bit too long to get going. Maybe, you know, it, if John Carpenter watched it and thought this is rubbish, <laughs> maybe it was. And he thinks some more bit. No, I, 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 no, I don't think, I don't think it's slow. And they say it's only 90 minutes long. Goodness me, if you can't sit for, mm. I mean, how long is it before things get going? It's creepy from the off. Really? Yeah, I think he's, 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 the score does an awful lot to make you feel a little bit kind of. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of in the score, which he does quite a lot, but in other scores where it's like a a constant like. Do, 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 do. Yeah. yeah, and it, 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 that helps the helps the pacing, I think, quite a lot. And mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, it helps with the tone as well of, of what you're doing. Yeah, and the, and the score itself has quite a few different kind of themes that are sort of. You know, like all his films, you know, like obviously Halloween and even like Escape from New York and They Live, it's like this beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he he alternates it through different things. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it has that, it gives the film momentum. Yeah. I think it works really well. Yeah. (laughs) So I like it. In summary, we we liked it. Yeah, (laughs) we did. We recommend it. Check it out. (laughs) 